Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, You on Blog Talk Radio. Mind, Body, Spirit, You is a collaboration between five inspirational and unique women who have joined together with the intent to assist you in making your life the very best it can be. You can find us at www.mindbodyspiritu.com. There are many live shows and podcasts offered each month, and all are available in the free archives under the Mind, Body, Spirit, You tab at Blog Talk Radio. Our shows cover a variety of topics, healing, spirituality, health and wellness, metaphysical concepts, and scientific discoveries. Many of our shows allow time for you to call in and ask for assistance on your journey of transformation and discovery. We are all aware of the quickly changing perspectives about our minds, our bodies, our spirits, and our world. And that is exactly what we are here to discuss. So please, join us in the spiral of life and together we will learn, grow, and transform. Here's the show. Hi everyone and welcome to the Holistic Health Hour with me, Holistic Life Strategies Coach, Aleka Thorvalson. And in this unique and inspiring show, we look at our lives in a whole new way, tuning into our health, our wellness, and happiness from a mind, body, spirit, and soul perspective. And it's my intention to create a new kind of dialogue about our health, about our bodies, our relationships, and our lives, empowering transformation from the inside out. Yes. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, I'm warning you now, as I just started recording, I just started hearing thunder, so I have no idea how this will go. Um, but if you do hear in the background some, some loud booms, um, that's what's going on. Hopefully the power will stay on. Interesting um, how things work. But so thank, thank you for tuning in, and thank you for the great feedback on the last shows. It has been, it's been really great. Um, I, I so appreciate hearing from you. The series on intuition got lots of feedback, actually, and um, lots of questions about how to develop it, and so maybe um, I'll do some shows on that at some point, um, and as well as people just wanting to connect with me and perhaps do some one-on-one work. The anger show, um, the gift of anger, got lots of feedback, and and that was more about thank you for saying exactly what I've been going through, um, which was really apropos because so was I. <laughs> I was I was right along with with you all. So um, yeah, thanks. I really love that. You know, I, if if a, if a show resonates with you, or if you have questions, or you don't like it, I mean, certainly I'll take any kind of feedback. You know, you can always get in touch with me via Mind, Body, Spirit, U. That's the letter U, my website, alekasky, A-L-E-K-A-S-K-Y.com, on Facebook, under my business name of Aloha Healing Arts. You know, if you have questions, leave a comment, schedule a session um, to take, learn more about what I talk about. Have show ideas, that's always good. Just go ahead and you can always find me there. So... Today's topic is one that um, I think we all know about. You know, the, the, tonight's topic is the inner critic, that um, that part of us, that that inner judge and jury, and perhaps executioner. Um, there are many names for this part of ourselves, right? I think I think we could probably call it the ego, the inner child, the the critical parent. Um, I remember, I think it was Don Miguel Ruiz calls it the parasite. Um, I, I just call it the voice or the inner critic, you know, um, or I call it Gladys. I don't know why. <laughs> I've always called it that. So I think if you can name your inner critic, that's, that's a really great way to sort of begin the separation process from aligning with it fully. Um, but whatever we call it, you know, the fact is we have one. And the severity, tone, and language that your inner critic uses may may be different than 
you know, how mine speaks, but rest assured it is there. So the, the reason why I really wanted to talk about this topic is because it's so pervasive. It's, I mean, I, I certainly have the, an inner critic and I'm well aware of that. And at times it has certainly run my life in ways that probably aren't as functional um, as I, I um, would have liked. Uh, and, and so I really wanted to really bring this topic to the forefront here and talk about it and say, you know, what is it, this, this thing we call the inner critic, and how is it created? And what are the implications of its presence? Is there a way to get rid of it, and do we want to? Because are there benefits to its existence? You know, and, and so... I think really understanding what this force is within us can really help us work with it. Um, and so today I'm just going to bring up this topic, get a little up close and personal with our inner critic by, by kind of calling it out of the shadows of our mind and, and bringing it into the forefront and the light of, of our awareness. So, you know, with that in mind, um, Start channeling it you know, a little bit. You know, start hearing, what does your inner critic sound like? And maybe it'll show up to the conversation today. And we can have a conversation in such a way that maybe it'll, it'll change our perspective of it just a tad. So what is it and how did it get in my head, right? Um, that's, that's a great question. At, at our core, you know, at, at the core, the inner critic is really a biological and psychological adaptation which is really necessary for our human development. I mean, it's, 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 it's part of our development. And the intention of its creation, the intention of its inception, is in a sense to keep us connected, right? It's to, it's to make us feel accepted. So it's to connect us to other people, our community, our family, by really defining what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. So the inner critic is really formed by really sort of absorbing the verbal and nonverbal instructions or moral imperatives, messages, given to us by external authority figures when we were young. Um, typically this happens in the conditioning um, process when we're young. So parents and caregivers are the most obvious of this, but um, really it can be anyone that we respect that has the ability to instill these important messages. So it might be clergy or teachers, friends, you know, other members of the community. So it's not always just our parents, but typically um, our parents have a pretty large stake in the creation of our inner critic. And again, remember how I said it's, it's basically formulated to help us have these parameters so we can realize acceptance, which is really necessary for our survival. You know, that's, that's important. I want to make that clear, that acceptance is a vital part of our survival. So these sort of moral imperatives are necessary for developing an inner sense of security and connection. So in, in a way, the inner critic does become our inner compass to safety, you know, our inner sense of quote-unquote right and quote-unquote wrong. And if you notice it now, if you can check, you know, track and see what it's telling you, um, you can really see how it, the voice of our critic really reflects the inner chatter of our thoughts that, you know, are, and are really instructions on how to appropriately behave in the world. And I think in, in this way it can actually be very helpful because obviously it's important to know how to act, you know, at the library um, versus at a football game. You know, it's important to learn how to show gratitude. It's important to know how and when to be assertive and to have a clear understanding about what is a dangerous situation and what isn't in the world. So in this way, developing this inner sense of right and wrong um, is, is really important. And one of the things when I was... Um, when I was looking at this, this is, you know, most of you know that I work, um, I also do um, hypnosis with clients from time to time, if that's, you know, something that is called for. Um, and so when I was being trained in that, um, one of the things that I, I found so fascinating was that from age's birth, you know, when a baby is born to age four, 
babies' brains operate in what's known as the delta state. So what this means is that the brain waves are running really slowly, below four cycles per second, with zero number of repetitions to require new behavior. So what that means is if something happens and it's, it's in the mind, it's, it's in there, right? So in adults, that would be equivalent to a pretty, pretty deep sleep or relaxed state. Now from the ages of four to seven, children actually operate in what's called a theta state with the brain waves running between four and seven cycles per second. So in an adult brain, that would be the state of perhaps light sleep. And it's also the state of fear elicited during a flight or fight response, which is kind of interesting. But in this state, we need only one or two experience of learning to affect behavior. So again, very little repetition for it to really sink into our subconscious mind. And then from the ages of seven to 14, the brain is in the alpha state, which is about 14, um, seven to 14 cycles per second, and learning occurs after about 21 repetitions. So it takes more repetitions to change behavior. And then after the age 14, we, the brain operates in what's called the beta state. Now, of course, our brain throughout the day goes up and down. Um, we're just talking through, and cycles through different states, but you know, we're just talking in general. Um, the brain operates in the beta state around age 14, and that's about 14 to 21 cycles per second. So this state is equivalent to our normal waking and alert state of consciousness. And I mean, it can take lots and lots of repetition to learn a new behavior. So that's, you know, why we sort of, at the older we get, the harder it is to change habits, or at least that's what we see um, brain, you know, when we look at this brain science stuff. Now, collectively, you know, what that means is until the age of 14, our brain is really malleable and suggestible to new information and ideas. So, in other words, children are highly receptive to absorbing the messages they receive. So, you know, through, and then there's this process, this, this really interesting psychological pro process called introjection where a child's psyche um, internalizes the messages and instructions they have received and it becomes their own thoughts, their own inner voice, their own inner critic. So you can really see just how these messages get into the mind as we, we grow and are conditioned and then how they get set in place. And what happens is through time, instead of being wary of others' approval, they become wary of their own approval because it's like this external voice has taken up residence in their own heads. So I think that's a great understanding of how the voice, the critic, um, whatever you call yours, actually takes up residence, how it's formed. And honestly, the reason why it's formed, again, is a survival strategy. It's about how to stay connected to the group. How do we get approval and acceptance? And, and how do we stay safe, right? So at its core, there's nothing wrong with it, right? There's nothing, abs there's nothing wrong with the intent. It's there to keep us safe. Um, parenting expert Peggy O'Mara, this is a famous quote, but it's a beautiful one that says, be careful what you say to your child because it becomes their inner voice. Now, after hearing what, you've, you know, what I just said, it's, it's pretty clear, right, that even the most well-meaning parents, of which I am, um, will pass on their own definitions of, of success or love um, or self-expression or right and wrong. And you can be the most conscien conscious parent in the world and still have your own expectations and imperatives that are passed along to your kids. As we know, this is sort of something that it just happens. We can't not do it, but we want to be very clear on what messages we are giving. So there, there's no family system and there's no system in general that doesn't have this sort of more right or more wrong way of doing things. There, there's, we have form to the system that we're in. That's the nature of systems, you know, creating a sense of form um, to be able to move forward in a positive way. So it's, 
it is important that we're able to to have this part of ourselves. Um, but you know, then it can you know if you think about what messages do get implanted, some of them may not be that helpful. And even the ones that do get implanted that are helpful um, may keep us from really moving forward um, to change because they're old instructions that are meant for um, pastime, if that makes sense. So that's how the inner critic is sort of born. I hope that gave you some perspective on this, this thing that's in your head, right? Um, so now the, the inner critic, as we've talked about, has value as a moral compass and a way of connection and keeping us safe, but it can have a darker side, um, shadow and light. And what might some of those be? Okay. Well, number one is sort of something I just alluded to, which is old programming does not lead to change. So that's important. As I said before, the inner critic wants to keep us safe. It wants to keep us contained. It wants to keep us restricted. And it, so what it does is it tries to control as much as possible in an attempt to find safety because this part of our psyche that wants safe is not real keen on change because change means risk. So the inner critic tends to show up any time we get out of our comfort zone and it, and it lets us know. And it might say it rather rudely because the inner critic uses old um, judgmental sort of tactics to do it. But it might say, you know, stop. Go back to what you know. So if we really align with the inner critic more times than not, it can keep us from moving forward in ways that we actually want to go, we actually want to grow into. So the other piece is, you know, claiming authenticity is something that is really necessary for living a really fulfilling life. And authenticity is not really about conforming. So, you know, remembering that the inner critic was really born from being taught that certain behavior was unacceptable and parts of perhaps our personality were unacceptable. So, you know, those messages may be really helpful in the context of, you know, a child who's running out into the street, right? But it's something else entirely when we really want to express ourselves in authentic ways that we might have been told in the past were unacceptable. So really the inner critic, when we're aligning with it unconsciously, has the capacity to annihilate any sense of authenticity that we might really want to claim. Another aspect is perfection, sort of as a destination, doesn't exist. But the inner critic, because it's really sort of bred in this place of improvement, the, you know, and it's not necessarily improvement like healthy improvement, like, oh, I have, you know, healthy self-improvement. Um, it it's kind of gets stuck on replay and repeat. You know, perfection is not the same thing as striving to be the best that you can be in any situation because perfection says there's never enough because it, you can never actually get there. So if we allow the inner critic to demand for perfection, it can often keep us in these endless cycles of wanting more or being competitive or feeling unworthy and frustrating patterns of, of never feeling enough. So that's an important piece as well. The other thing that can show up, um, self-worth cannot be determined and defined by external things. But one of the things about the, ex about the inner critic is it often focuses on the external rather than the internal. So it targets what um, we have and what we do but it focuses less on who we really are. Remember these voices that we got. We live in this sort of externally based culture. So since it's conditioned in those same you know, frameworks, it often repeats the same messages. So it can really focus on externalized criteria of our inadequacies. Um, and then we can create these, it's like an inner hole. We don't, we, we, we feel not good enough. And, then we try to seek to fill this hole with outside sources in an attempt to feel better, 
which can lead to addictions or obsessions or just the perpetual need to be better um, or to search for something, but not really ever finding what it is that we're seeking. Um, you know, and along those same lines, our, our beliefs, what we believe, really shape our view of the world. So the conditioning we receive, the messages, especially the early ones, right, because those are the ones that really stick, the messages, the experiences, I mean, that's, that's just as important. Think of the experiences that you, you went through um, at a younger age, the events that happening, you know, that happened to you, especially during those really prime-shaping years. Those have the capacity to really shape our beliefs about the world, our beliefs about ourselves. So, you know, we, I've talked about this so much in the past, but we don't experience, you know, in our, in our, in our world what we want, but what we believe we deserve or what we believe about ourselves. So the inner critic's fusion with these old limiting beliefs can really keep us stuck in perpetual um, disempowering cycles of perception. And, and what that can look like in the world is just cycles of the same thing happening over and over again and not understanding why. Another aspect of the, the inner critic that's not very helpful is it's just not nice. I don't know. if you know, let's, let's take a moment right, and talk about this because, um, you know, the, the inner critic is not necessarily the voice of compassion and loving direction. I don't know about your inner critic, but I would never talk to someone I cared about the way that my inner critic talks to me. You know, and it often uses judgment, criticism, shame, and punishment as a tactic to really get our attention. And it does. Let's, let's like, you know, it, it certainly gets our attention. And this is especially true if our early teachers use the same techniques to keep us in check. I mean, if you can track your inner critic, you can really, you know, one of the things I do with clients is to really say, whose voice is that? Where have you heard that before? And it's pretty amazing to really locate, wow, I got that message. You know, that was, that was verbatim almost a message I got. Now, whether it was a verbal message from somebody or it was a nonverbal message, it was something that it, it still um, keeps you stuck. If you were, say, um, when you told the truth, you were shamed, you know, meaning you told your authentic truth. You said, this is who I am, and you got um, shamed for it then every time you attempt now to be authentic or claim authenticity, you will automatically go into a space of shame and that voice will be very shaming to you, right? Remember, there's a part of us that wants to grow and expand and then there's this other part that says stay safe. So we want to grow and expand and it says stuff like, you can't, what are you thinking? That's not going to work out, right? Because it's the voice of limitation and it gets our attention. It's not you know, right or true, but that's the tactic it uses. So, you know, if we're under this all the time, this inner chatter of, of judgment and shame, it can certainly lead to um, feelings of stress or fear or depression or anxiety and just feeling bad. I mean, imagine how it would be if literally your inner critic was a person talking to you all day and you were conscious of it. Yeah, it's not going to feel very good, right? So, um, in, in the past... I've, I've really talked about how important feelings are. And I've done past shows on that. And you all know my stance. So one of, the, one of the main jobs of the inner critic, again, is to keep us safe. So one of the things that it does, another tactic, is it can rob us from um, feeling anything. It tries to numb our feelings, especially anything bad, quote-unquote. And you all know that um, I don't necessarily believe that any feelings are bad. Right? Some are difficult, some are challenging. Um, but they all have wisdom. So it can, you know, aligning with the inner critic, it has the, the propensity to really numb us from feeling in a, in a way to try to keep us safe. So, you know, um, all of these parts, all of these ways in which the inner critic can operate can show up in our life in a way that is, is really, you know, in a, I guess in a dysfunctional stuck space. Um, and we get a lot of confusing messages, right? I, I think that 
that's one of perhaps that's one of the tactics of the inner critic is it's not very clear and it gives us mixed messages like we may hear the messages don't make people uncomfortable right we have that one don't make people uncomfortable but be honest well how do we do that I mean, I, because when we're honest and we're sort of, yeah, I mean, the whole nature of that, it might make people uncomfortable. Um, so it says, don't upset anyone, but say what's on your mind. Sound informed and educated, but do not be a know-it-all. So, I mean, these confusing messages are extremely frustrating and cause um, a feeling of sort of perplexity where no direction is seen and we're stuck. You know, those confusing messages that we got when we were younger, you know, um, women, um, I'm just reflecting on, you know, women get the message, be beautiful, be sexy, but there's a fine line between that and going into the dark side of it, you know, which would be perhaps, don't be a slut, you know. Well, what is the difference? And, and how do we own our femininity and um, assert that if we're getting these mixed messages that at the same time, it needs to be shut down or controlled or managed in some way. So all that I'm saying is it's very confusing. And, you know, one, that confusion can cause immobility. The, you know, the inner critic we know was, as I said, was founded on creating a sense of safety and security. Um, but it makes us stuck because the instructions we got when we were seven or four or 11 are really not the same ones that we require at 2.30 or 45, or at least we want to make the choice so it's not subconsciously running in our heads, right? Um, and, the, you know, ironically, the connection and acceptance the inner critic was founded on actually keeps us from truly finding it. Critical thoughts like what's wrong with you or you're not good enough actually paralyze us. You know, and intense feelings of shame keeps us hidden and alone and not reaching for the very acceptance that we want in the first place. So um, the, the inner critic's intention to keep us in the status quo or the familiar, even if that's familiar pain. And it can really stifle us from moving forward and from making change and from really connecting with others in the way that we truly, truly want to. So one of the um, great teachers on this, there's many, by the way, uh, but Robert Augustus Masters, who wrote about the inner critic, um, asked a great question, and I think it's super important when we're working with it, which is, we all have the inner critic, but does our inner critic have us? Because this question reveals the vital truth about the inner critic, that the power of it is not in its accuracy or validity, but in our unquestioned belief in its certainty, right? It is, there's so much a part of our inner landscape, it is so much a part of who we are, that we actually mistake that inner critical voice for our own. The inner critic may feel like us, and to some extent it might even sound like us, but it, what is important to note, it is not the whole of who we are that we have another awareness or other awarenesses outside of that. Um, undoubtedly believing the inner critic and its directives, we then lose the power of choice because when fused with judgment, we lose the quality of or the ability to find real discernment. And so the inner critic's power is truly only as powerful as the energy that we give it. So that's an important piece to recognize, that it's very deeply embedded in our subconscious and it's sort of like automatic pilot tapes running the show, but it doesn't actually mean that it's right. So how about locating it? Can you do that, right? Because we cannot change what we do not acknowledge. The first step with working with anything, um, and specifically this, is can you notice its presence? Because it can be elusive at first, kind of like that elevator music in our heads. It has become such a persistence presence in our lives that we might have numbed to the melody. So, you know, frameworks like awareness, mindfulness can be utilized and to create that space 
to become more cognizant of the habitual thoughts that are showing up. When we can create um, that witnessed or observant perspective, then we can you know, get the benefit of um, perspective and perception that we become separate from it. So, you know, awareness is really this space of fluid curiosity and pause that's really not grasping or defining, nor is it pushing away. It's just observing. So when we can create that space, then we have the ability to really shine the light on the inner critic in a way that separates it from assuming it is us. So what does your inner critic sound like? Right? It, what is yours? Like, what are the words it uses? What are the tactics it uses? Um, my inner critic is very loud and demeaning and uses lots of judgment and shame to get the job done. Uh, it loves to kick me into limitation and it picks on my intelligence and it picks on um, ways in which I might feel vulnerable. So perhaps, you know, your inner critic is more manipulative than shaming or more sarcastic than fearful, or more just downright mean than demeaning, right? The main point is it, it, it uses many guises and it filters through many voices, and it tries to keep you small with the hope that it can keep you safe. So now what, right? So now do you hear it? For me, um, I work a lot with this, and certainly with my own self, um, but definitely with my clients because they seek change and inherent to the process of change is going to be tension and risk. So any kind of transformation involves navigating the tension of this habitual safety and the pull to evolve and grow. So we know we're going to, you know, the inner critic is going to make itself known because anytime we venture out of our comfort zone, um, there it is. So I work on this a lot with my clients because, of course, it's going to show up in the process of transformation. So learning to work with the inner critic is really a vital part if you would like to change or transform anything in your life. Um, so I think it's really, really important to, when working with this part of us, is to help yourself gain awareness, you know, of the inner critic. And I think, contrary to popular belief maybe, I think there is great value in observing and tracking what the inner critic is telling you. Because exactly what it's saying is exactly what needs love and compassion and acceptance and healing in our lives. So by tracking the inner critic, it can point us to the edited parts of ourselves that are asking for integration. So I listened to the, the um, talk I did on shadow for that uh, because it'll tell you what that means, the edited parts of ourselves, the stuff we put in shadow and how we integrate it. Um, listening to the inner critic can lead us right to the limiting and often unconscious beliefs that most require reframing. It can reveal feelings, right, because we know that the inner critic can numb our feelings. So when we listen to the feelings, or I'm sorry, when we listen to the inner critic, we can actually get to the feelings that we might have buried or numbed. It can show us exactly where we or how we give our power away so we have the opportunity to get it back. It can allow us to cultivate real courage by challenging those voices and challenging what we fear. And it can really give us the opportunity to embrace our imperfections, to give ourselves compassion, to reparent ourselves in such a way, and really claim authenticity. So a quick exercise that um, I think is really great, I'm going to give you, give you now, um, and this is suggested by Robert Augustus Masters. A few, a few questions that you can ask yourself to really... Um, get in touch, you know, perhaps more fully with the inner critic, you know, utilizing this sort of awareness, witnessy type perspective. Um, my inner critic is, right? My inner critic is. Its message 
is. My usual response is. My feelings are. What I am most afraid of is. I feel most powerless before the inner critic when. A voice or message from my past evident in the inner critic is. How old do I feel when the inner critic is its most harshest? I most readily believe the inner critic when. So sit with those a bit. And and certainly, you know, the great thing about Blog Talk Radio is you can rewind and, and you can pause um, if you're listening to this. So you can do that. You know, sit with those. Journal about those. Um, get in touch with what that is. It can really allow some space to be formed between what the inner critic is telling you and where you actually want to go or, or what you want to believe. Okay. So what's next, right? Um, because though we have this inner critical voice, we also, by observing the self, by saying, I'm watching the inner critic, what it's telling us, is we are vastly more than the inner critic. We are more than that because we're watching it. So what are we? What is the watcher watching the self? So in other words, watching the inner critic in this way implies that we are other than it. So what is the other self? In that space, what emerges is an opening and a new possibility that we are so much more than the story that we have been running for so long. So in that present pause of awareness, we can begin to hear the whispers of a new voice a voice that is different than the inner critic because it is not based in fear and protection, but is based in love, growth, and expansion. You can call it our true self, our higher self, you know, the divine self, intuitive self, whatever that other voice is. And I know you hear it too. It might be, it might be the volume might be on low, right? But it's there. And this is the inner calling of potential, of evolution, of change, of growth, of transformation. So much of the work that I do with clients, and certainly with myself, (laughs) is not done by declaring war on the inner critic or by denying its existence. Because we know that war, the path to war, never gives us peace. And denial will never take us to truth. So we have to turn down the volume of the fearful critic, right, by turning up the courage of love or the voice of love. So what does that voice sound like? And let's try to locate that one because it's very different than the inner critic. Um, it's, it's, you know, that voice of truth, that voice of love, and you can call it whatever you want to name that one too, Right? Um, That voice is unconditional because it is not based on perfection or standards, but acceptance and gentle improvement. Its intention is to seek truth and healing rather than stay in a space of denial, even if that truth is challenging. This voice is assertive and has a very low tolerance for disrespect because it knows what it deserves. It is accountable and it claims responsibility without demeaning criticism, punishment, or blame. Right? So it's a sense of, yes, you know what? Maybe I I made an error there. But it's sort of like the way in which you would talk to, to someone you loved about it. Okay, what'd you do different? Or what can you do different? What did you learn from that? So it is a kind and understanding and supportive and compassionate voice and uses praise as a way to move you forward rather than judgment or condemnation. 
and it pushes for authenticity and wholeness rather than requiring outside validation. It's going to ask you to make some challenging choices and it focuses on strength rather than weaknesses. And it's curious and it asks you to go deeper rather than stay still in fear. It encourages change and transformation. It encourages you to grow rather than staying in habitual sort of limiting situations. So this, this voice, you know, turning up the volume of this part of ourselves is really important. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is through um, inquiry um, and embracing change. Um, spiritual teacher Marianne Wilmanson, who's now, you know, getting on the political scene, if, if you know, um, if you know who she is. But she's an amazing teacher. And she, she says, love is what we are and fear is what we learn. And I think this is really important when we're talking about this, this part of our psyche. Because this truth implies that at our deepest layers, we are perfect and whole. And it reveals that we really are beings of love personified. And that it is only the voice, it is only the limiting beliefs of fear that mask this radiance. And our, our fear mind, right, this part of us that we've been talking about, is not bad and it is not to be hated. It's just trying to keep us small and contained and restrained with the hope that we will somehow stay safe. But what we now know is that we are so much more than our fear. And we seek change, right? If you're listening to this show, you probably do. That you seek transformation. We seek authenticity. We seek purpose. We seek growth. And so in this way, the journey of transformation is, is really a journey of unlearning and getting back to who we really are. It is an odyssey to clear away the clouds of fear covering the radiant sun cells that we are. So holding this light of awareness, we can really, you know, readily use the gift of inquiry and grasp the grace of choice. Because inquiry carves out the path to empower us to make new choices and find out what is really going on. When questioned, the voice of fear is just simply not true to the present moment. Um, and, you know, I think one of the greatest teachers on this is, is, a, is someone named Byron Katie, um, who formulated something called The Work. And her story is phenomenal um, in and of itself. But The Work is a process to challenge the voice of the inner critic with power, four powerful questions and a turnaround um, and welcome the space for the voice of truth to emerge. So if you're interested more in Byron Katie's work, um, tons of stuff on YouTube, books, check it out. Um, but... The four questions go like this. Is it true? Yes or no? And if it's no, we skip to, to number three. But the first question, is it true? The second question, can you absolutely know that it's true? Question three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And number four, who would you be without that thought? So, held to the challenge of inquiry, the inner critic can be questioned for its validity. We can compassionately hold the space for ourselves and our clients, you know, um, if you're a coach working with clients, um, if you're someone working with your own beliefs. So we can compassionately hold the space for ourselves to release the inner critic's habitual replaying of outdated messages, thoughts, and feelings that might arise in the process. Um, 
you know, there's a space created for reflection and visualizing regarding what it would be like to be free from the inner critic. When we bring in the voice of truth, we engage authentically by leaning into our imperfections with compassion and with clarity rather than judgment. So this is a really a way to, to, to ask ourselves, what thought do we want to align with? Is this belief that I am running through my psyche one that I even believe? I, the true I. So imagine your life without the belief the world is unsafe, that vulnerability is weak, that I must always succeed, I must be perfect, I am responsible for the reality of others. What else? Right? All those limiting beliefs that really show up with the inner critic. So we can really help ourselves begin to start understanding what loving boundaries look like. And loving boundaries with the inner critic are important because when we set them, we release, we release it from its job of attempting to protect us. And in this way, we claim our own voice of truth. We can say, hey, thanks for showing up. I got the message, but I'm choosing change. Right? We can, we can listen to it and we can find the lost gifts we need to integrate. Maybe it reveals a past pain or hurt or an old belief that we need, to, we need to integrate or heal in some way. You know, and we can lovingly let it go by saying, I, I get it, you're afraid. You're afraid of getting hurt and feeling rejected. And I know that the reason why you're showing up is to protect me from these feelings, but I will be okay. I, will, I am able to cope with whatever happens, and I no longer need the protection that you are offering me. I think by expressing empathy for this critical part of ourselves, we can consciously release the need for its protection. And in the process, we can really claim the change that we're seeking. So, you know, I, I say this often that we may not choose our life circumstances, but we can choose how to respond to them. Along the same lines, we may not be able to choose how, what our inner critic says or how it's formulated or how it gets set in place. But we really can choose to agree with it or not. In every moment, we really have that choice. You know, and in that moment, we can decide past or future. You know, habitual nature or change. The, the energy and patterns of the inner critic are habitual. And so, by definition, habit has a tendency to repeat itself. And for, for change to really occur, we have to consciously release habit and step into a new place. And this happens when we consciously release aligning with the stories, with the thoughts, with the, with the tapes and habits that keep us stuck. And when we clear away what has once defined us, we allow ourselves the possibility to redefine who we really are. And there's, there's a way in which, when we do that that we can find accountability, um, which is truly empowering. And we can claim vulnerability, which is, which is true humility. It's self-acceptance. And we can open ourselves in such a way that receiving becomes a symbol of strength. And, you know, the shame that maybe we have once carried or the judgment that we have once carried cannot stand the light of truth and the light of love. And imperfections can be seen as not inadequate at all. And when we can, when we can allow the space for this shift to happen, we can really be whole, which is, which is what the whole intention is to this whole process, right? It's finding our whole selves. So I hope that um, this has given you some perspective. I think that, you know, we, we often get told 
I hear this a lot, that you can't love anyone else until you love yourself. And I think that that's true, but that's so easy to say. And I think that's really hard to do. Um, One of the things that I, I really focus on when I work with clients is the, you know, how do we take these bigger concepts like that one, love yourself, um, and bring it into, like, how does that look in the real world? What does that even mean? Does that mean, like, I go get massages every week or what? Um, and I think that this talk, this today, of really, you know, turning down the volume of the inner critic by choosing choice um, and risk and growth and choosing love and trust. So turning down the voice of the inner critic by turning up the voice of the authentic um, and real self is really a way that we claim that sense of loving ourselves. And I think that when we can find and embrace our whole selves, shadow and light, we really start moving into a space of self-love. So this work of that we've been talking about for the past, you know, 50 minutes or so around the inner critic is really a tool to utilize to help us move forward into a place of real self-acceptance and self-love, loving the whole self. So I hope that in that way um, it was helpful for you. And I really encourage you to start tracking the voice within your head of the inner critic. You know, hearing it perhaps... In, in for the first time and recognizing how often it unconsciously runs the show. And then perhaps making some space and challenging that voice and, and asking if it's true. Um, and if you really want the instructions it's giving you right now, or you can make some space for a new voice, a new possibility, one that tells you it's okay to grow and that's more loving and kind in general. So tell me about the process. I want to hear what happens. What happens when you check in? Um, what did you find out? You know, what was it like? And then what does the voice of authenticity and truth sound like for you? And what is it like when you create more of a balanced flow between the two? Because the thing about the inner critic is it really has a tendency to um, become the voice that we habitually listen to and we forget that we have another voice. So it becomes very, very loud. So what happens for you? What's your experience when you're able to find balance between the two? And what does your life look like when you, rather than listen to the voice of limitation, you begin to listen to the voice of expansion? So tell me. Tell me what happens. Um, Thanks for listening to the show. As always, I welcome feedback. AlekaSky.com The next shows I'm going to be doing. I'm sort of embarking on a big journey that um, has sort of been one that I've had on the back burner for a while. But since it's such a huge topic and since it's really coming up right now in so many areas um, of people's lives, it's something I've really, really worked on myself. Um, I'm going to be talking about relationships and what the heck they're all about and why we have them and how can we navigate through them in ways that are important and empowering. Um, The next show is probably going to be about an aspect of this. It's it's probably going to be a series of some sorts because it's such a big topic, relationships. Um, So I'm going to be talking about codependency and counterdependency and interdependency and the dance of all of them um, and what that looks like and, and how we can move forward from some of those old patterns. And um, I might be talking a bit about soulmates and are they soulmates and what are we supposed to do with them when we find them and do we have one and and some misconceptions that we have around the whole process of relationships because if there's one place that I think we are pretty collectively confused, it is that, um, relationships. So stick around for that and yeah, and I look forward to talking to you the next time. And until then, take care.